welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us and we have a special guest with us today. And we're going to be talking about religious freedom. And of course, that's under assault not only here in this country under COVID restrictions and uh, just draconian laws that we've experienced this last year, but also, of course, around the world and in other countries, and unfortunately in Western countries as we speak. But with us on the phone is Sam Brownback. He served as ambassador at large for international religious freedom from February 2018 until January of 2021. Uh, he also served as governor of Kansas from 2011 to 2018, and prior to that, he represented his home state uh, in the United States Senate and in the House of Representatives while a member of the Senate. He worked on and actively on religious freedom issues in multiple countries and was a key sponsor of the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998. And with us on the phone is Ambassador, Governor, <laughs> Senator uh, uh, Sam Brownback. And I understand that the best thing you like to be called is Grandpa. Is that right, Sam? <laughs> well, that's right. That's the uh, best title. Uh, when I'm around my grandchildren, actually, they call me Pops, but uh, I, I love that title. That's just, uh, that brings joy to my heart. <laughs> That's right. Well, we want to thank you as serving as the first um, ambassador for religious freedom, and the, the Lord has these ironies in life. I know that you actually worked for that position when you were in the U.S. Senate, probably not realizing that you would be the first appointed ambassador for religious freedom. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I actually, I wasn't the first one. I was the fifth one, but the position had just really not been um, accentuated much by State Department. It was a position, it was there, uh, and uh, people would work in that role. But uh, under the Trump administration, uh, we made and they made uh, foreign, religious freedom a major foreign policy issue. So it really elevated the job, and it needed to be elevated. There's so much persecution of people of faith around the world. Most genocides in uh, recent memory are of religious minorities. Most recently, the Uyghurs in Western China, and the, the granddaddy was uh, of the Jewish people in World War II. So it was a position and an issue that really needed to be elevated. Trump administration did that, and I was uh, delighted to serve in that role when the position really got pushed up. Well, that's right, and, uh, you know, of course, we watch these things at the Ohio Christian Alliance, and I was not aware that there would it had already been in practice, but not really, like you say, elevated to a position with what it was supposed to be, actually, and uh, a very active role at the State Department. And, of course, uh, you had to receive approval as the new ambassador uh, in the U.S. Senate. And, of course, when I think about Sam Brownback, I think of a very kind gentleman uh, who had friends, quite honestly, on both sides of the aisle when he served in the U.S. Senate, never compromising your positions or your values, but, uh, of course, uh, always a gentleman. I expected your confirmation to be overwhelming. Unfortunately, as indicative of what we see in recent years, the vitriol in Washington, uh, I was not aware that you just passed by one uh, one vote over the top at 51, with, uh, and it was uh, Vice President Pence who had actually had to cast the deciding vote. Is, is that how it went down? That's right. 
That's right. I, it amazed me. It shocked me. I didn't think there was going to be any difficulty. But we had two members of the Senate, two Republicans that were gone. I think Chuck Schumer looked around and thought, we can take this nominee down. Uh, and it was because I'm pro-life. Uh, and other issues that I'd stood on strong for a number of years, but I had a lot of friends in the Senate, and they all said, yeah, we'll join you, and it ended up 49-49 with the vice president having to come up and um, break the tie. He had just gotten back from a trip to Israel the night before, uh, and I think uh, maybe uh, uh, Chuck Schumer thought, well, maybe he can't make it to the Hill where he'd be pinned somewhere else, but he came and broke the tie vote. It's still, it just... I. A position I helped create, people I'd worked with, they knew I would be active and, and uh, bipartisan in this job and standing up for all faiths, uh, but that's the, that's the nature of the partisan environment now. Well, that's right, and it's not Joe Lieberman's party. He, had, of course, went into no. retirement, and back in the day when he was there, I suspect that he would have carried a number of Democrats with him and confirmed your nomination. But unfortunately, we don't have that type of civility in Washington right now. We have just the opposite, unfortunately. But uh, again, we were so thankful that you were confirmed and that you served honorably in the role, and actually very effectively. And we, we followed you. You were very busy and actually around the world of course uh in syria of course where the uh, christians there in iraq with the chaldean christians and of course uh, different uh, minority faiths around the world tell us a little bit about your time as uh, ambassador for religious freedom on, in the trump white house uh as being appointed in the state department you know what was really delightful about it uh, was I had a lot of support uh, from the administration. Vice President Pence was very supportive of the position. Secretary Pompeo was very supportive of the position. A fellow Kansan, uh, and that really made all the difference in the world. Uh, the big focus, really, and it still is for me, is China. Uh, they've just developed these um, high tech. Uh, persecution, uh, oppression systems, uh, using facial recognition with cameras everywhere, police stations everywhere to, to conduct a war on faith, all faiths, whether you're Christian or uh, Muslim or Buddhist or Falun Gong, uh, they just, they're at war. Uh, and so that's what a big part of uh, time I put was pushing back against China. And it wasn't just China. What I was deeply concerned about was these systems would start to be used by a number of authoritarian regimes to oppress people of faith. And I'm, I'm really concerned that that is what's going to take place. We have seen, of course, uh, the persecution of Christians on the rise around the world, radical Islam in Africa, of course. Uh, we have seen... Um, uh, report after report of literal massacre or abduction of, uh, of uh, Christian girls at schools and then families trying to pursue them, but then villages being attacked by uh, the different uh, radical Muslim groups. Uh, this is just one indication. Of course, we think about the Middle East, but now our eyes turn to Afghanistan, uh, where that probably, you know, when the U.S. presence over the last 20 years, there was the free practice of people to conduct their their faith. And there was a minority Christian community in Afghanistan and growing, but now with the Taliban in control, and uh, we've seen and heard reports of actual uh, atrocities against Christians by the Taliban. Can you confirm some of that, Senator, or if you're just saying you're, you've also heard those reports? 
I've been working with a group um, coordinating efforts to get religious minorities of uh, Christian others out of Afghanistan over the last month, and we I've heard any number of stories of atrocities uh, taking place. Now, I, I can't confirm those, but knowing what I do about the Taliban, I, it doesn't take any stretch of the imagination to believe that's taking place. And a big part of the Christian population in Afghanistan uh, are converts from Islam, uh, Messianic Muslims, if you want to uh, say that, uh, people that have started following Jesus. Uh, and they are in particular difficulty because that's considered uh, blasphemy and apostasy, and it, it takes the death penalty with it. I, uh, they, they are amazing people willing to stand up for their faith. Many of them have experienced miracles themselves, healings, or even seen Jesus themselves. Uh, the ones when I get to have met with them in the past, I'm just uh, in awe uh, of their faith and their faith experience and their boldness to uh, proclaim and be a witness for what they believe and what they have seen. We've never seen anything in our lifetime of the way that the United States left so abruptly, and and actually by the administrations and uh, decisions, and actually this year, this week on Capitol Hill, uh, the top command is being grilled by members of Congress as to the debacle that was the withdrawal from Afghanistan that allowed the Taliban to come in, basically a terrorist army, uh, taking over Kabul, but all the different provinces and uh, towns and uh, committing atrocities against people. We've seen the images. We don't, uh, you know, the, the reports are uh, confirmed in that regard. Uh, human rights violations across Afghanistan. Now with the U.S. gone, uh, there are still independent groups Groups, uh, that have been actually flying, uh, bringing flights into Afghanistan and actually uh, leading people out on foot, on trail, uh, to other uh, protected regions uh, that are uh, under threat by the Taliban. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, it's ongoing, uh, and it has been successful. While our government has been all too willing to leave Americans uh, there and our allies there, uh, there are a real group of patriots, many of them foreign or uh, former U.S. military operators, that are moving people out. I mean, there's, there's some are moving out on planes, many across the land. I uh, co-chair a coordinating group that's been uh, working with uh, a number of different entities that had people still on the ground, and these were generally Afghan nationals, that had worked with uh, Western NGOs or religious organizations, or they themselves were converts, uh, and in, and they they'll get killed if they get found. They're moving to safe houses. They're getting moved out of the country. Uh, that, um, that that these individuals, God bless them, are are not leaving them behind. Uh, I, I thought our pulling out of Afghanistan was one of the worst things the U.S. government has done in decades, uh, and because we left, we left some of our own citizens behind, but we also left our allies and people that had worked with us for decades uh, in that country, and we left them vulnerable to be the, to the Taliban, to be persecuted, to be killed, and, and there are still people, Americans and others, working hard, feverishly to get them out. 
Well, obviously, there will be uh, ongoing hearings, and I suspect that if the Republicans take back the House of Representatives next year, which is probably projected to happen if you look at history, uh, they will take back uh, either one or the chambers. There will be hearings uh, on this as to what exactly happening was their intent here, because we left billions of dollars worth of uh, military equipment. Uh, so when we went in 20 years ago, which was basically a ragtag uh, group of terrorists, now we've armed a terrorist army in the Taliban. And so, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's I know that, you know, Senator, with your and Ambassador, with your experiences and knowledge of uh, foreign affairs and, and all, uh, this just has to be so disturbing to you to see our government act so recklessly and uh, irresponsibly. Your thoughts? It is. It is. I, I just, I'm beside myself of why uh, the Biden administration did this. This was totally unnecessary, and it was also totally predictable what would happen. When we had a status of forces problem in Iraq under the Obama administration, and the Obama administration pulled our troops back, we had the, the ISIS then in that region, which we called a JV, and they weren't thing of a JV. They, they came in and took over a third of Iraq, and we got a genocide of Yazidis and Christians that took place by this militant, radical Islamic group. Now you have the Taliban, who's more organized, with now more equipment, uh, and what do you think we're going to get out of Afghanistan? Uh, I, I, and I wouldn't doubt we will end up being back in Afghanistan, just like we went back into Iraq uh, to stabilize that situation, and, and now it's much more stable and not a, the terrorist haven that it, that it had become. Well, that's right. And uh, my son served in Iraq in three different deployments uh, over two full years, and uh, he actually helped oversee elections. He uh, really started caring for the people when he was, uh, you know, back home and retired from the military. Then watched in 2014 as ISIS invaded northern Iraq in Mosul and uh, threatened Erbil. Uh, you know, we, we started working the phone. Senator Portman actually was very busy about that. We worked with the uh, Chaldean Christian community here in the States, in Ohio and in uh, Michigan, uh, to advocate for their fellow countrymen, Christians, in Iraq. And unfortunately, uh, some did not make it through. They, they, they faced martyrdom at the hands of ISIS. And so, again, these are real issues. These are real, uh, you know, uh, human rights and religious rights uh, uh, violations around the world. And um, and so I'm excited to hear, Senator, what and Ambassador, what you're going to be doing uh, now in your retirement. You're not going. You're, you're going about to launch a new project that I think that uh, I know our organization like to assist and partner with you in any way that we can. Tell us a little bit about what you're thinking. Well, a lot of what I'm doing right now and have been doing has been on international uh, religious freedom, and I think that's been critical and. And we're seeing the, the impacts in places like Afghanistan. We've just got to fight for people of faith, uh, Christians to get persecuted. And if we don't, nobody else will stand up for them. But I think we have to stand up for religious freedom here at home. Uh, I think we need to be a lot more organized of pushing for uh, religious freedom and explaining to the public the foundational principles of religious freedom, that this nation was built on this idea that that people of faith would be allowed to peacefully practice their faith. This is central to the American founding. It is also central to peace and stability and economic growth in this nation and around the world. 
And if the U.S. ever loses focus on this foundational human right and human dignity, we will be much the worse off, and so will the rest of the world. Because if we don't stand up for religious freedom here and around the world, there are there aren't any other countries that are going to do it uh, as well or as able uh, as the United States to do it. So that's why I'm going to be pushing for that more uh, domestically uh, here moving forward. Traditionally, we look at uh, China as a violator of human and religious rights, uh, even in India, uh, suppression in, in Turkey, of course, uh, in other nations uh, in, in the Middle East. We don't think of Western nations as oppressing religious freedom, but during the COVID uh, shutdowns, and even it's been extended in places Australia, New Zealand, and even Canada, uh, we're receiving reports. And of course, we've seen the arrests of pastors. We've seen the forced closure of churches. We've seen the seizure of clo- uh, church property when uh, congregants have uh, persisted to congregate. Uh, your thoughts along these lines is that uh, it's not just uh, in the Middle East or uh, in China, but we're seeing the Western nations taking uh, draconian measures and, and oppression. It's, it's, it's a frightening uh, trend. Your thoughts? Well, I think it is a frightening trend, and it's one that I think we have to stand up and, and push back uh, against and, and stand up for. You know, when you got the little sisters of the poor, even uh, during the Obama administration, that gets told, okay, you have to provide um, uh, uh, birth control uh, measures, even though it's something you don't agree with in your faith. This is about the faith expression, and it's about forcing people to do things that are against their faith. And that's what I think we really have to stand up for, is that people should be allowed to peacefully practice their faith, whether you agree with the standards of their faith or not. This is foundational to religious freedom. It's foundational to human dignity. Uh, And that's what I I really think we've got to start explaining really better to the public about why this is foundational. Imagine if Martin Luther King uh, had not been able to organize in the African-American churches the civil rights movement, uh, that people would say, well, we're not going to let you do that. What, what would happen in that movement? They were allowed to organize, uh, and, and he was a religious leader himself. Uh, and this gave birth to this beautiful movement and needed movement in this country. Yes. Uh, that's only part of why it's so important. We're talking to Ambassador Sam Brownback, who served as the International Religious Freedom Ambassador in the State Department in the Trump administration from 2018 to 2021. He's now uh, back in Kansas, but he's continuing uh, his launch and support of religious liberty, uh, both here in the States and internationally. Ambassador, when I think about uh, the various groups that work to advocate for the persecuted uh, uh, religious minorities around the world, what are some of the effective groups that you worked with uh, or visited your office when you were in Washington? You know, I've seen many groups really stand up. Some of the mainline denominations uh, have done it a lot. The Baptists, uh, the Catholics uh, have done a great job. There are specialized groups uh, in defense of Christians. IDC has been one that's done that. Open Doors is a global group uh, that I've just recently affiliated with as a senior fellow. Um, And we just had a summit, International Religious Freedom Summit, uh, middle of July, where we had, uh, oh gosh, we were over 60 different groups that are standing for religious freedom of all faiths. 
Uh, we had Christians there, but we also had uh, Jewish groups and Muslim groups and Hindu and Buddhist and Falun Gong, and uh, because it's about a common human right, not about theology. It's about a common human right, and that right is to do with your own soul as you see fit. You know, it's a fundamental right of man uh, to to uh, f- of religious freedom. These rights come from God. And, you know, this is what we're seeing in this country, as even we're seeing uh, basically an attack on our individual freedoms and our individual rights. Uh, lots of us are having to invoke those rights now uh, with the COVID vaccine mandates, and people for personal health or religious conscience are uh, opting not for the vaccine, and uh, they're having to get practiced in what is the law. And I have to say, even our own organization, we haven't, over the 20 years I've been heading up this organization, haven't done many religious exemptions. Well, we know about it now, and there's actually information on our website. There's a little helpful info sheet for people. If you're going to file a uh, religious exemption on vaccine, if your employer is uh, mandating that, uh, you can go to our website at ohioca.org, That's or just Google Ohio Christian Alliance, and the uh, information sheet is there, and it was a, kind of a walkthrough. Also help from Liberty Council. Matt Staver's group is doing some great work along those lines and can help you to file that religious exemption if you are being threatened with uh, termination of employment due to the vaccine mandate and for religious purposes or reasons that you've decided not to get the vaccine. You know, Senator, these are some of the kind of things that were happening right now uh, in the states, here in Ohio and across the country. Your thoughts along those lines? Well, uh, I, I am for, I'm vaccinated, and I, uh, and I think the vaccine's a great gift, but I am not for mandates. I don't think people ought to be told uh, to do things. I think the cases should be presented to them. And if there's a religious reason, I, I think people, if they've got uh, some deeply held conviction uh, on their part, then they should be allowed to to practice their faith as they as they see fit. That's you know it's part of the discussion that's taking place in our civil society today, and I I think that's an important discussion to have take place. I hope people recognize that the the key piece here uh, is that this is a human right. I think we get balled up on the issue of religious freedom or persecution as somehow something separate from fundamental human rights. It is a fundamental human rights. It's our First Amendment. It's our First Amendment human right. Uh, and I, I think we have to constantly draw back to that point, is that this is a fundamental human right that goes with the dignity of the individual, and that that's its basis and its, and its importance. And it, it's, it's, it, uh, it needs to be greatly protected. Absolutely. Ambassador Brownback, we look forward to working with you on these issues, and I'm sure there's going to be lots of challenges to come down the road, unfortunately, here uh, at home and abroad that we want to be praying about. And we will be praying about the folks in Afghanistan that are actually receiving help and those that are reaching out to them. So again, thank you for being my guest today. Is there a way for people to follow you right now? Uh, yes, if they would like to. I've got a, print, uh, a Twitter account, uh, Samuel Brownback. Uh, they can uh, uh, get on that, and I, uh, I hope they do. Absolutely. Thank you, Ambassador. We uh, appreciate it so much, and God bless you and your family and your continued work for religious freedom. God bless you. Take care, all. Thank you. 
That is, again, Ambassador uh, Brownback, and uh, we, of course, appreciated taking time today. If you've missed any of today's program, you can hear its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue The following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to continue our candidate on-air program where we're going to feature candidates uh, this next month and those running for the U.S. Senate, those running for other offices, for Congress, and also for governor. This is all the races that will be on the ballot in 2022, and it's approaching very quickly as uh, the 2021 is coming to an end as we're entering into the fall season. But a lot of candidates are already out there meeting with Ohioans and talking issues, and that's what we're going to be doing because there's going to be a wide field of candidates that we want to give you an opportunity as the voters to hear from them as they discuss important issues. I want to take a moment to thank those of you that came out to the Ohio Christian Alliance Freedom Banquet as we celebrated 30 years of public service at the Akron Fairlawn Hilton. We had a great evening as we had Bill Federer from the American Minute as our keynote speaker, other special guests as well. All the information is on our website, 
want to thank you for your support and, of course, all those who contributed and support the Ohio Christian Alliance in our ongoing mission of advocating for life, faith, and freedom in the public square. Well, there are a lot of issues that are in front of us right now as Ohioans, as last year, the shutdown during the COVID-19 really affected small business across the state of Ohio. Also, of course, there is an influx of illegal aliens pouring over the southern border, and it continues, not just those from Central America, but now it's a Haitian uh, immigrant uh, uh, caravan that is traversing the uh, uh, Texas border, and the Biden administration is doing nothing to stop it. Uh, We're going to talk about that because it is an Ohio problem, as we have seen buses of federal government actually bringing in uh, some of these illegal aliens uh, as it's a catch-and-release kind of situation. They don't deport them immediately, folks. They bring them to your neighborhood and mine, and unfortunately, they're going to be drawing on public services, and these are people that are here illegally. They didn't come uh, through the proper exchange of uh, immigration into this country. They're coming in illegally, and they're pouring over in historic numbers on the southern border. With me on the phone is Jim Renacy. He is a former congressman. He served in the 16th Congressional District for several terms, and also now he is running for governor. Jim, welcome to the program. Well, good afternoon, Chris, and thank you for having me. Well, thank you. I saw your post up today because we're seeing uh, both Senator Portman and other congressmen have talked about the Afghans that are coming into the country. Now, of course, uh, there were those who were actually processed as United States citizens as they served us in their own home nation of Afghanistan. But when we saw the melee of the terrible closure of the American presence in Afghanistan, uh, there was such a uh, hectic situation. There were people loaded onto those planes bound for the United States, not of which was they were vetted. And the concern is now, these weren't U.S. citizens. They could have been part of the Taliban undercover, and now they've been released into the U.S., and they're going to make their way to uh, states like Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Ohio. And then, of course, we see what's happening at the southern border. I myself have witnessed uh, U.S. government buses a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning, and I looked, and then lo and behold, it is said that the U.S. military was helping to uh, move around the country these illegals that were being processed at the southern border. This is all summer long, and they're coming to Ohio as well. Jim, you made a statement today in one of the videos and said, why aren't we caring for our veterans? Why aren't we caring for our homeless veterans and and the people in our state that have yet to recover from the shutdown of last year, and yet we're taking in this influx of other uh, illegal immigrants uh, into the state? It doesn't make sense, and that our governor's doing nothing about it. Your thoughts? Well, Chris, that's exactly right. I mean, as I travel the state and I see so much that uh, of, of loss, people have lost their jobs, people have lost their businesses, but also homeless veterans. I'm, I'm working with a group that's taking care of homeless veterans as well. We need to fix our own issues first before we bring more people in. That's such a simple decision we should be making. We have a state that today can't take care of those that are here. We have an unemployment system that's broken. We have a Medicaid system that's broken. We have all these systems that are broken, and yet we're bringing more people in. Look, 
as Christians, you want to help anyone you can. I understand that. But let's help those that are here first. Let's help those that were are legal, uh, you know, legal citizens coming back, maybe citizens that, that want to come back to Ohio that were here before. But we can't fix everybody's issues right now when we can't even fix our own right here back home. So I have said all along, the idea of bringing more people in this state, and it's one of the reasons why they're unvetted. Uh, we now have three of the four most dangerous cities in the state. I was talking to a uh, a lawyer uh, in the in the Columbus area two days ago who was telling me, Jim, what's happening is all these illegals are coming in. Uh, they're getting sanctuary. We have sanctuary cities around our state, and now the problem is. Many of them aren't vetted, and the crimes are starting to spread out of the cities and into the suburbs. But look at our cities right now. We have, uh, you know, Cleveland, the second most dangerous city in the country per capita. Akron, the fifth most dangerous city in the country per capita. Dayton is right up there. Cincinnati is 12th. And we have some of the most dangerous cities because we aren't taking care of our own first. You know, that's a great point you make. Of course, as Christians, we want to help those who need help. But right now, as a state, I and I agree with you, I've talked to small businessmen, I've talked to families who run small businesses who are just now uh, trying to get back up on their feet after last year's shutdown, where it wasn't any fault of their own, but the government literally shut their doors, where they kept open some of the big box stores like Walmart or Target or some of these big uh, inter, uh, national and international businesses, but the small mom-and-pop shops, they're the ones who suffered most during the COVID-19. And I, I mentioned to you yesterday, we were down in Worcester, Ohio, for an event, and we saw some of the closed uh, shops that were on Main Street. And Worcester is a great little town. It's, it's indicative of the small towns across Ohio that make up this great state. And my wife and I, when we travel, we visit to some of these areas, some of which have been hit hard economically. So, you know, right now, you know, for the governor to be talking about uh, the great economy recovery, that is, I got to tell you, that really doesn't settle right with me because I know that there's a lot of people still struggling. And if it wasn't for the federal government doling out uh, money that we can ill afford to print and distribute, uh, people want to get back to work. But the fact is, is that, you know, there's inhibitors here in the state of Ohio, and the last thing we need to do is be taking in an influx of people that need uh, some help on the dole. And the fact is you've got to really uh, fix your own problem here before we can take on and absorb others who might ne- need our help. I agree with you c- uh, completely, and I think the sentiment of the Ohio voter is just that. So I think you're really striking a note with people out there, Jim, on that issue. Let's talk about small business because, you know, you're not you're not a politician. You actually run a business most of your life. You've employed people. Tell us last uh, tell us about what last year meant to small business as you go around the state and talk to these mom and pop shops. Well, Chris, I will tell you uh I came here 39 years ago and I started my first business. I went from one business to 60 businesses, created over 1500 jobs and employed over 3000 people all throughout this state. So I've been in all the small towns from Piketon to Wellston, all these little towns throughout the state. And now as I travel them, they're just decimated because the governor shut down the decisions that he made where he said, you know, this is an essential business. This is not an essential business. These small businesses are struggling. I met a couple 
in southern Ohio, and I'll never forget, in tears, she came up to me and said, you know what, uh, Congressman, I would take COVID, and I had COVID. That's what she said. I had COVID, and my husband had COVID. But we've lost everything with these shutdowns and closures and mandates that I'm going to lose my house now. I may lose my ability to even help my children get their education because their children were in college. And she said, I would take COVID five times or six times over than have to go through these shutdowns again. And it shows you the sentiment of people. People have, you know, the governor and many of these politicians never had to stay up all night trying to decide how they're going to make payroll. They just make these rules that even I've had to fight with. I mean, Chris, one of the reasons why I ran for Congress was the federal government getting involved in taking my business away from me, my Chevy business. But it even goes back further. The state of Ohio many years ago also infringed on my rights with retroactive taxes, and I had to fight them for 12 or 14 years, all the way to the Supreme Court. And I can tell you, it's always these mandates, it's always this overreach of the state and federal government that hurts small businesses more and more. People just want to be able to work, make a living, and live the American dream. And when when we have governors and presidents who overreach, like we have today, these are the issues that are causing so much pain and despair to so many of, um, of the small businesses around the state. One of the things that we saw during the Trump administration is a common-sense approach to America First agenda. Uh, you uh, actually ran for U.S. Senate a few years ago. You were endorsed by President Trump, and you embraced that uh, when you were in Congress, the America First uh, agenda. But it seems like uh, government sometimes overthinks the situation, actually comes the problem instead of a state straightforward approach where it literally should be the citizens first rather than government getting in front of the way. And I know that that's your logic going forward. But looking here on your website, we're seeing a lot of challenges that people are faced with right now. Is last year also, the government was giving out historic numbers, unemployment benefits uh, that didn't match uh, what the need was. In other words, they were paying more uh, to people not to work than to work. What kind of effect did that have on small business as well in the state of Ohio? What were you hearing from uh, small businessmen? Well, here's what's interesting, Chris. In 2019, the state of Ohio, Governor DeWine, was told that his unemployment system would not handle even the slightest downturn by the federal government. That was in March of 2019. In September of 2019, the Legislative Service Commission also told the governor, that the unemployment system would not handle even the slightest downturn. I tell you that because then in March we had COVID and we had a serious downturn and the unemployment system totally collapsed. But at the same time, the federal government came out and said, we're going to not only pay you unemployment, we're going to pay you an additional $300. So in Ohio, the problem was magnified because nobody could tell who was getting it, why they were getting it. People were on unemployment longer. Chris, I even received uh, a letter that said I was approved for unemployment and I had not even applied for it. And I've heard story after story after story like this. So if you think about it, if you're a business owner and you're trying to employ somebody in Ohio and they're getting unemployment benefits, even if they're not supposed to, and we have a system that's broken that we now know billions of dollars were lost because of 
the, the governor and the lieutenant governor not fixing the system in 2019, billions were lost. Uh, well, if you think about it, that's what the challenges were for the small business owner. How could the small business owner keep employees when half of the people were able to stay out, stay unemployed, continue to get checks, even though jobs were available? The system still is not fixed. The Ohio unemployment system still has massive problems and it hasn't been fixed. And I blame Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor Eusted for this issue. Lieutenant Governor, issue, um, Lieutenant Governor Eusted was in charge of this when he was asked by one of the people I, was, I talked to about getting unemployment when she shouldn't have. He said, hey, the system's broken. I can't fix it. That is not the answer you want from leaders. And that's why small businesses were struggling across the state, not only because of the additional money that was coming to them, but because we have a system that's so broken that anybody can get unemployment. It's a sad yeah, situation. That's right. The unemployment uh, fraud that took place, uh, that where checks were going out, they were applying in the name of Ohioans, uh, and it went out, uh, and there was billions. And I asked uh, different government leaders in here in Ohio what they intended to do to try to recover some of that money. It, some of it went internationally. Some of it was domestically. And they really didn't have an answer as to how they were going to recover that money. And uh, yet it was the unemployment fraud that took place in a very poor system. And I agree with you, Jim. It was a terrible state of affairs. It did happen in other states as well. It happened nationally. But at the end of the day, it's the taxpayers' money. It's our, our children and grandchildren's money. And uh, this is part of the loss and the incompetence of government. So, again, I agree with you. We need to hold political officials accountable on this issue. And it seems as if they're getting a pass, but you're out there raising the issues, and we appreciate that. You know, as you go out and you speak to small groups across the state of Ohio, Jim, and I know you've been on the road for a while, and you continue uh, almost daily getting out there and meeting with uh, Ohioans, what are the kinds of concerns that they're talking about presently? Uh, about this as well. Of course, still trying to recover from the losses of last year, but what are the things that concern the most right now? Well, the biggest concern, Chris, is that they don't have a governor who will stand up to them, stand up for them. Uh, you know, they talk about our Governor DeSantis so often and how even when the federal government mandates things, you have DeSantis saying, no, you're not going to mandate that. No federal government, you're not going to push that. And here we have a state where we have a governor who you know, continues to say, well, I don't like this, but he doesn't step up for anybody. And that's their biggest issue, whether today, whether it was mandates on masks in the past or, you know, vaccinations now are a big issue. We got the, we got President Biden saying that uh, have to get vaccinated, nursing homes have to get vaccinated, employees, you know, the employees in the nursing homes. And you don't have a governor stepping up and saying, we're not going to do that. We do have an attorney general who stepped up, thank goodness, but we don't have a governor who steps up and stands up for the people. And the biggest issue I hear right now, and the biggest concern, although concerns continue to change, I mean, last year it was mass mandates and closures and, you know, uh, <clears throat> essential businesses and not essential businesses. Today, we're now into the vaccination mandates, and people are just sick and tired of the government saying, you are going to be required to get a vaccination. That is really a key issue today. And I think we need a governor who's going to step up and say, no, we're not going to follow what the president of the United States says because the people don't want that. 
Chris, we're going to have a health care crisis in our state and in our country if we're requiring health care workers to have to get vaccinated when they don't want to. Jim, that's a great point you make, and it's very personal to me, and I've testified on this very program that that hit our family with. My wife was being mandated as a RN for vaccination, and we're actually helping people to apply for exemptions, both health and religious exemptions. Uh, Now, her exemption, her religious exemption was accepted, as well as some of her other fellow workers in in a local hospital, and we're thankful for that. But people are facing this every day. I spoke to a church down in Worcester last night that was packed. And these were people who uh, work in Fortune 500 companies. They work in large companies. Some of them work for the federal government. And they wanted to know how they could apply for exemptions. They had concerns about the vaccine. Now, again, they're not anti-vax. There are those in the room. In fact, there were people in the room that had the vaccination. And they were there supporting those who were losing their freedoms and possibly their jobs over a vaccine mandate that's coming down now from the federal government. Now, of course, some businesses have moved on their own accord to va- uh, to mandate the vaccine, and we're helping people to uh, process and file for exemptions. And again, these are health reasons, personal reasons, and religious reasons. People have good reasons why they may not want to take the experimental vaccine. We still call it that because even the Pfizer FDA approved was with conditions. It has benchmarks. It's not fully approved, and that's a misnomer as well. And, of course, the Johnson & Johnson and the Moderna uh, shots are not uh, approved. And even uh, the FDA, uh, excuse me, the CDC voted in a 16-2 to 2 measure not to approve widespread usage of the booster shot. So this thing is still in flux. Uh, how we might get through this at the end, like Governor DeWine said, we want to get through this. Well, we all do, of course. We're all hoping the vaccine would work. The, the, the vaccines are having some issues, but it looks like we might get there by herd immunity eventually. And uh, that might be the way that we get through this thing. But the fact is, people should have the individual right to either take the vaccine or not take the vaccine, not be forced and threatened of their employment, especially those who were frontline workers last year, like you said, Jim. Uh, these hospital systems, it's Ohio's number one employer, are hospital systems in the medical profession, and they're facing uh, a mandate, and we're talking 90,000 as of just about 10 days ago, 90,000 healthcare workers who are not vaccinated. And if they're not vaccinated at this point, they may not want to get vaccinated. That's a lot of healthcare workers, and if they're being threatened with termination of their employment, folks, we're going to have a healthcare crisis. Jim, you are so right. Your thoughts? Well, I would 100% agree with you, and and I look back at what this governor said when he divided Ohio by saying there are those that are vaccinated and those that are not vaccinated. He should be talking about making sure that people's rights are protected, and especially these healthcare workers. I mean, I am very concerned about the uh, the healthcare crisis that's coming down the road when we don't have enough healthcare workers. When we, you know, we know that we're getting more and more hospitalizations, the nursing homes are um, having their problems, and yet now they're going to ask, I mean, as far as staffing, and now we're going to ask everybody to be vaccinated for for 40% of the people or 50% who don't want to be vaccinated, it's going to be a real issue. So this is the issue as I travel the state, I keep hearing this overreach, um, and people just want their freedoms. They want their freedoms, they want their rights, they don't want to be mandated to wear masks. They don't want to be mandated to, uh, to have a vaccination. It's pretty basic freedoms that our governor and our elected officials should be standing up for the people 
that people are so frustrated with across this state. And that's why, again, I jumped into the race. I, I, I was never, I never believed that Governor DeWine was going to be a good candidate, a good governor. And I can tell you, two and a half years later, we're seeing what happens when you have somebody who's really never managed a business, run a business, or really had lived outside the political world. And I think that's the real issue. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue we're talking with Jim Renacy, his former congressman of the 16th Congressional District. He has announced his intention to run for governor in 2022. Uh, we're also going to talk here, Jim, in the closing minutes about critical race theory. You brought this up in your campaign. Uh, I have talked to people all across the state of Ohio that are running for local school boards because they see this very divisive uh, theory being implemented in Ohio schoolrooms. And Governor DeWine actually appointed members to the state school board who endorsed a resolution to promulgate critical race theory. Your thoughts on that? Well, another big issue. And again, that's why I am helping and I'm traveling the state and I'm pushing for people to get on school boards. It's a necessity that we start taking back our schools because we can't have a school board and a governor who's pushing critical race theory. I just 100% disagree with that. And you're and for your listeners, you're exactly right. He appointed eight members who all endorsed critical race theory. That is a serious issue. We should have a governor like Governor DeSantis who has said, I am not going, if, if you use critical race theory in your curriculum, you're going to lose state funding. That's the kind of governor we need. And that's what the people are asking for. And as your listeners hear this show, I hope they're stepping up and running for these local offices. We need people to get engaged and involved. Jim, thank you so much for being my guest today. Again, Jim Renacy, 
And the website is jimrenacy.com. If you want to follow Jim's campaign and also follow him by way of signing up for his email list, that's Jim Renacy for governor and jimrenacy.com. Jim, thanks so much. Thank you, Chris. God bless you, my friend. And if you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.